Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management archaeology and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeological Podcast, episode 275. I'm your host. (laughs) Holy cow. I know, I know. It's crazy. Your host, Dr. Andrew Kinkella, is uh, freaking out at 275 episodes. So I'm here, and also joining me from the sunny state of California is Bill White. Good morning. Hello, Bill. And also from the sunny state of California is three people from the sunny state of California. Yeah. Heather. Heather, what's up? Hey, Bill, I think you're probably the only one that's actually uh, of this three that was that's been a part of all 275 not every single one of them but you've been there from the beginning right yeah since the beginning yeah Yeah. i have listened to all 275 too because what folks don't know is i'm probably the one person that does listen to every single one of them i was about to say that that's actually even more impressive than being a part of (laughs) yeah you're even you're even more of a narcissist than me and that's i'm that's impressive dude because like well, I'm I've only, I mean, I listen to the ones with me in it. <laughs> yeah, well, but, uh, I just try to listen to see what you're going to say about me when I'm not on it. So I got to listen. <laughs> I know, dude. Actually, I, 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 and honestly, I do listen to the other ones too. Just, so, just so I'm not behind, you know. So I'm yeah. like, oh my god, what if they say something? But and, and I don't know. Next time, I'll look like a fool. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Totally. So for today, we thought we would take up the theme of damage assessment at archaeological sites and there's an article that we will link to on this that came out recently and i know that for myself i I thought this was kind of a cool topic because we've all come across archaeological sites in different states of damage and we all have to deal with this but i thought the article did a pretty good job of laying out hey maybe there's some steps we can take as archaeologists to sort of quantify the damage right and actually one thing i would love and i'm not sure if it's out there already or not is some sort of relatively simple form that we could use you know or that we could kind of download and make our own a little bit but a form just specifically on the damage that's something i haven't seen but i haven't looked horrendously closely i think yeah some some site steward projects or programs have assessment forms for, yep. Right. I have seen those. Yeah. In 2017, the most recent one that I've been part of myself and some other folks with the Society of Black Archaeologists went and did damage assessments for the Estate Little Princess and a couple other sites in the Virgin Islands after Hurricanes Irma and Maria. And we had a standardized form that they wanted to fill out that I felt was like, (laughs) I felt like you should really just fill out the site forms and then have it be an update, right? Because they were kind of, you know, 
how many windows were broken on this or, or mm-hmm. just amorphous, you know, tell us the state of damage. And there was no yeah. real instructions on what to do. And so I feel like this, the article cultural resource damage assessment, I just pretty straightforward. And if you, if you look at it, it does kind of have steps. So if you've never done a damage assessment and somehow you're on a CRM crew that it has to do it, right? Like this, this FEMA, gives sure you FEMA like eight steps, before. right? Yeah, they, yeah. FEMA does too. Yeah. I mean, because that's, that's what they do, right? There's, they've been hiring recently too. Yeah. That's scary. Cause then that means there's more disasters <laughs> that are coming. Yeah. They need more people cause they had, they were facing more disasters. Or they're having more of an emphasis on cultural resources that they didn't have before. I can yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, this is really what you brought up was a very good, a very good point about site recordation versus site assessment, like damage assessment, because how many times are site records not really accurate or they're not done very well or they're not in depth enough. So, you know, we come across that a lot when you have a project and you do record search and you find out there is a resource on site and then you have to go and find that resource and see, see where it's at in comparison to the site record. And then this, you open up the site record and you're like, Oh, we should just start from scratch. <laughs> yeah. There's just nothing there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, especially, you know, a place like California that has a lot of different kinds of forms that you have to fill out. So, you know, the mm-hmm. site form, like the, the basically front page is the GIS data and then it's number from the state and everything, but there's a toolkit of other additional pages for photographs, for buildings, for, you know, sites and stuff that you have to fill out yourself and I feel mm-hmm. like that that's the that's a good way to approach it, right? Like if you had a site and it's already got a site number and then you just start using the forms that your state has to put together to to build the new assessment, right? But in your discussion of it, you're constantly talking about, well, this site has, you know, looter holes or I mean, the article is very focused on looting and it's because they're yes. using two cases where it appears like, you know, someone had been looting for years and years at a site and they were actually prosecuted. Right. And another one where it seems like developers ripped a site in Arizona, both of them are in Arizona. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they're really coming at it from a, a crime standpoint, which is, I, I guess, super useful for their purposes. But I would say as far as, you know, my own experience, it's the damage from things like hurricanes and wildfire and erosion and floods and stuff. Those are the kind of damages that I have more experience with, you know, assessing the condition of sites after they've been wrecked by natural forces. But still, they have a pretty good step-by-step thing, which I haven't seen anyone really kind of say, here's how you think about it. Here are the six steps that you would use or eight steps. You know, here's how you would move through it. And, you know, step two is, you know, getting the a, a team together that actually knows what they're doing and coordinate with officials. And, and it also seems like coordinate with local communities, indigenous folks specifically, because this one is yeah. using ARPA as the the pathway to do this kind of stuff, which once again, that means it's on federal land. So there is a consultation nexus for indigenous folks i would add you know it'd be a good idea to connect with local historians and communities and other stuff in in natural disaster kind of situations right because they could actually know a lot more than you if you're not from that area the the problem is is the reality of making this happen i think obviously you have to have something in place so that you have to have a system in place. And I think that's a good idea. But, you know, I don't know if we want to go into the reality of actually 
making this happen, the amount of people that it takes to do that. I mean, let's say just looking at wildfire. Wildfire in the state of California, Cal Fire is the agency that that oversees you know all aspects of wildfire management and or fire management in general. And they do have archaeologists on staff. And I don't know if you guys know, but you know, they train their firemen, chiefs and in other fire <laughs> occupations to look at cultural resources and to protect cultural resources, which is excellent. I mean, that's that's yeah, what we cool. want. But in some ways, they're actually replacing the use of privatized archaeologists because they only have enough funds to have so many archaeologists. And those archaeologists that are Cal Fire archaeologists are not able to cover all this expanse of area. And so they've trained the actual firemen, not all of them, but they're, they're, they have a program where they train them. And it's, it's an extensive program. But it's still not an archaeologist. And so just looking at that, to be able to look at resources that are impacted by environmental damage, just not looting, but environmental damage is so difficult. It's just going to take an army of people. So there has to be some, I think, not only a process, but there also has to be, I mean, all all cultural resources, you know, in an ideal world would be important but that's not possible. So you have to look at, okay, what are the ones that we really need to focus on as far as damage assessment goes? Otherwise, nothing's going to happen. People are just going to be spinning the wheels. So I think that's something that I didn't personally see addressed in the in the report that I, w- I thought would, you know, the realism of making this happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could totally see that. But I, I would ask, when you're recording a site, how many of you write down damage from looting and stuff on the site? All the time. I mean, if there is, oh, you mean how many times do we see it? Yeah, no, no, I don't know about how many times you see it, but like when you're out there and you're recording a site, do you take that kind of stuff into account when you're filling out the form? If I do (laughs) or anybody on our team would, I can't imagine somebody not because it's so shocking when you see it, you know, recording a site is not just looking at the measurements, right? And writing down what are the artifacts, but you're also supposed to, that's what these updates, right? The update forms are. It's so that the the whole purpose is so that you could see what the condition of it is now in comparison to what it was the last time it was recorded. So that's where I, that's where I think the power If if, you know, it's not very many words, right? So if folks Mm -hmm. read this thing, then it doesn't just end up being a, however you record it thing, right? Cause, cause mm-hmm. what's been happening so far is we, you know, you've got a survey area, there's 32 sites that have been previously recorded. Plus you're looking for any new sites while you're out there, you're walking your transects, you're going along and you know, pretty much the boundaries of where the site's at. So you, you, when your transects cross it, you get there and it's been ripped. And so then when you get to the site, you're filling out your company's forms and you're talking about these tracks that are in or you know excavations and stuff or where people have been partying and totally trashed this thing and the taking photos and doing all that stuff but the other pieces that are mentioned in here of you know really kind of notifying the the land agency and Mm -hmm. actually documenting the damage more than just kind of there's a backhoe trench and a blah 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 and this and that and then taking photos and measurements and stuff but actually talking about it in relationship to what we know about the archaeological site. I feel like that's the, that's the piece that that's the valuable piece. If folks are aware of this rather than just 
recording it as a, you know, some other kind of feature at the site, you actually are going through these steps to, to notify people. Yeah, this site's been ripped. And, you know, when you're writing up the report, you're saying, okay, of these 32, four or five of them have holes and stuff. They're looter holes. They've got modern stuff nearby. There's tents. There's other things that people have been living here and digging this thing. And it looks like they've been extracting ceramics and this and that making that report to the land agency rather than just there's 32 sites. We went there. There's the X amount are there. These three have been torn up, but they're still recommended eligible to the national register and that kind of stuff. Right. So, so I feel like rather than just having it be something that comes out in the report, going through the different steps of letting them know this happened and maybe who knows, maybe the agency will go out there. Maybe they do care. Maybe this is part of a pattern Mm -hmm. and your project area was just one corner of the forest, but all across the forest, they've been seeing people rip sites and dig for arrowheads and ceramics and stuff. And so your report then tells them that three of those are part of the investigation. Like, I feel like that's the true, I don't know if we'll ever get to the point where we really Mm -hmm. have people who are policing the sites, but I do think that having folks be aware of this and that they should report in stuff rather than just record it in the site form. I I think that's kind of the value of the, the article. Right. Yeah. No, it's a good point. With that said, let's take a break. And when we come back, we will continue with CRM damage assessment. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah. That's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. And welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast. And we have been talking about CRM damage assessment and we have really been bouncing off an article recently published by Cambridge on that very thing, CRM damage assessment. And, you know, they're not the only ones to be published by Cambridge. I have to say that <laughs> I might get that in there. <laughs> I don't want to brag, but so there I was in the Cambridge archaeological. <laughs> <No. laughs> so uh, digress. <laughs> yeah, so so the article is actually very important now that I know it's Cambridge too. Anyway, you know our experiences on this. I I see that we are talking about you know that maybe this isn't done enough in archaeology, but what's the reality of it? Mm-hmm. That's kind of why I was into a form. I'm like I'm like, can you get me a form? Because I think the article 
gives the in a perfect world do this kind of stuff i think it's mm-hmm. it's very good in terms of putting like the six steps together that's very cool but um heather your point of about like well yeah but in reality you know could you really have this happen in some sort of economic you know manner i mean economic not just in terms of money but in time and people you know that kind of stuff i can totally see that point but man if we could just for me if i could just get a form first you know yeah change change starts with idealism right i mean totally so i I have no problem with that i think if that's what inspires us to do things better then you know that's what needs to happen we need to kind of have this this maybe over the top reaction but that's what gets people's attention to realize that we really do need to do this so i i do think a across the board approach is what we should do in in archaeology surprisingly i mean it's a science right we don't have that <laughs> We, we don't yeah. we don't have across the board everybody records a site the same way. Right. We have in California we have these DPR forms, what we call DPR forms, uh, yeah. forms of parks and recreation forms. But people, there's I haven't ever seen a primer like a across the board primer that everybody's given. This is how you fill out a form because people's idea of how each one of those seg- sections are answered is different. Yep. And it shouldn't be that way. So to me, in order to assess damage of, I mean, a lot of times you're assessing damage of a site that's never been recorded before. That could be the case. But in sites that have been recorded, you need to have a good baseline so that you know the difference, so that you know what has been damaged mm-hmm. over time. And totally. so, you know, I- we need to start, we do, and I know that's not the premise of this whole episode, but you know, it, it's a good reminder that we should have a good process for for recording sites, and it should be across the board. I mean, I to me it seems like such a simple fix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and I, and I get Bill's point too, or earlier of like, well, you know, don't you record this stuff, you know, in, in your forms? And it's like we do, but I find that I find for me personally, I end up just recording it in kind of the daily notes, like at the beginning. I'm like, well, we're back at the site this summer, and man, you know, in the northeastern section, there has been a lot of like environmental damage or whatever. But it's just sort of in there. There's no yeah. standardized, you know, place where I put that in. And I know it and I remember it, but I do think it gets forgotten in the big story. Yeah. And the other question I have is because this is talking about stuff that's, you know, sites that are on land administered by federal and state agencies. And so they have that obligation. I mean, actually, it's their duty to take care of cultural resources that are on land that they administer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that is the nexus that the authors are using by saying, you know, they're they're beholden to these laws. It's part of their, you know, um, mission for their organization. And so if we report all this stuff, then, you know, though there here's the steps that you do. Here's what, you know, is supposed to happen. Here are the pathways towards doing the uh, assessment, right? But mm-hmm. my question is, do, have, have you ever seen a RFP that's like, you know, the so-and-so National Forest has 82 damaged sites, and we need a cultural resources company to go out and do a damage assessment of all of them. Like, are, are they actually hiring folks or, or, you know, you mentioned that the firefighters are learning how to record sites and to take that kind mm-hmm. of stuff into account. But does Cal Fire have archaeologists that are specifically damage assessment pros and they're putting out 
RFPs to have companies go and do the damage because because that's the other half, right? If if we're if we're learning how to do what we're supposed to do on our end, then what the the land administering agency? What are they supposed to do on their end? Even though they're the ones who are supposed to take care of the site, are they hiring folks to do this across their entire area? Have you ever seen it? Yeah. Well, I know that there's people that specialize in fire archaeology. Yeah, you know, I'm and I'm not an expert in this area by any stretch, but. You know, I, I bet you it is a suite of approaches. So you have site stewards, you have people, I was that in the beginning of my career, would do, it's on a volunteer basis and uh, state parks, national parks have people that they have a job. And we've even interviewed um, somebody who has a program, I think it was in Arizona, right? Yeah. So there are those, I think it's got to be a combination because you know, these areas are so large, right, that the state parks, national parks, staff handle. There's no way they could, you know, be watching every site. So they need a, an army made up of different private citizens, volunteers and, you know, staff that they have. And maybe also hiring, you know, private companies. I have not been part of an effort like that. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist, though. Yeah, because, I mean, that to me seems like it's the missing link that, is kind of implied, but not not necessarily stated in the. I mean, because also, if you're writing an article, you can't just tell your your hiring agency, you know, hey, you have to do this, right? They do, we don't tell them what to do. They're, you know, the the federal administrators. They're the ones who tell them what to do. But I I just kind of thought if you're reading this article that if this if this is so extensive, isn't this a form of CRM work to do these damage assessments? Mm-hmm. And to, you know, have RFPs that are saying in the so-and-so national forest, these many have been torn up by people camping on these sites. These many have been torn up by looters. These many have been eroded away. And then, you know, because they also get around to the value, right? Because once again, they're they're thinking about this as far as uh, ARPA violations and prosecuting folks. But yeah, th- that's the other half, you know, calculating the monetary damage. That's never easy. And I've I have read some some articles and guidelines on, you know, how you, how you're supposed to do that. It was always higher ups who were doing that. Mm -hmm. But to me, that seems like the second half of once we have filled out our form and we have notified them that these many in our survey area have been looted. Then the next thing is like, do they hire us to go on further to do the full damage assessment? Or are we just supposed to roll in there with recording the site? Like, okay. And then also here's a damage assessment off to the side because we use this algorithm that was set up by so-and-so in this article and here's the damage that's been done. What does, uh, so what does looking at the monetary damage take? What does it take? Yeah, I, exactly. It I know. money. <laughs> right? Oh, okay. It takes money. It takes funds to do it. Time. Where is that money coming from? Yeah, yeah. it's that. that's the other thing. Again, it's an idealistic approach. It doesn't mean that it shouldn't be at least be put in place. Some assessments better than no assessment at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. So I always love having programmatic approaches to things. And I think that, you know, that's what this article overall is is looking to get. I don't know. I think it's a sad commentary on the fact that we don't have that right now. We haven't yeah. had that right now. And that's probably yeah. what this uh, this article is saying. But not only do we not have that for damage assessment, but we also don't have it just for assessment of sites to begin with. Right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I think that's an important point. You know, and with that, Let's take a break. And I actually have an example that relates to that that we'll do on the flip side. We'll see you in a minute. 
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hello, and welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 275. And we have been talking about damage assessment of archaeological sites. And I actually have an example of this from my international experience. And by international experience, I mean working in the Maya area. And it's funny that I, I recommend this to my students a lot, you know, to get experience in varied places, because sometimes you can steal what you've learned in the one spot and bring it to the other spot. And my example here is for an ancient Maya site, one of the very first things we do is map all the looters trenches. And it's a function of Maya sites being looted like all the time, every time. And so when you're working in a place where you just know that damage in this case through looting is a hundred percent for sure, I think that you go further forward in damage assessment because it's right in your lap from all the time. And I know, you know, working in California or other places in the United States, I know there's looting too, but man, you haven't seen looting until you go to someplace like a Maya site, if that makes sense. So when, when it's forced upon you, you do things about it. So what we do is we make a map of the looters trenches and there's even a lot of studies that will focus on the looters trenches themselves on sort of taking a very negative thing and trying to get whatever is positive out of it. So you will, you will find reports that might have a chapter or definitely a section like on the looters trenches themselves. Okay. What can we study from this damaged piece? So the recording of the damage is actually at a really, really fine scale. So I think we could take a note, you know, from what we do in the Maya world and maybe apply it here again, you know, having a form, having a more obvious open way of recording these things, putting it more to the forefront and making conclusions about what it says about the archaeological site in the first place. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a good idea. I haven't been to places where it's like so prevalent, right. That you could actually rely on that though, because yeah. in places like forests and 
I don't know, BLM land and stuff that are constantly people are out there, but there's not really any kind of supervision and stuff. It doesn't seem like it's widespread trenches like what you're talking about or, you know, constant holes excavated. What you see sometimes is people digging. I mean, as a historical archaeologist, the thing that makes me most pissed off is when people dig privies on public land, like go to an old mining town and then, you know, dig a huge hole or something like that there. That's you know, quite common, but I've also seen where folks bust petroglyphs off the wall or cut them out and stuff, or where, you know, people are going way up into the hills in Arizona to these kind of sites that are, should be remote. And you can see where they've gotten rid of the roads and trails to get to this by bulldozing them or cutting, rolling boulders in the way. And then people are using motorcycles or other stuff to get around it and then go up there and then like way back there in some kind of like house block or whatever people are digging Right. Uh, You know, some prehistoric site like that's the most common thing. But you can also walk along and never see that, you know, the whole time you're there. Right. So, yeah, I don't see where it's like systematic enough. But I do think that if we were aware of your methods and stuff, we could, you know, add that into when we're recording the site. Right. Rather than just you were saying, noting, you know, looter trench here or flood erosion there just Mm -hmm. in our notes and it not really going into the report or going anywhere. I feel like. You know, maybe that's a step that we probably, I don't know, I yeah. guess maybe if there was a, a DPR form, like a continuation sheet that's, that's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, damage, environmental damage, right? Or site damage yeah. assessment with a checklist and other stuff. You know, are there looter holes? Is there erosion from floods? Is there fire right. damage, right? And then the CRM folks, oh, there's a continuation sheet. That means that I have to actually think about this in my mind when I'm out there. And then fill out these different uh, modules. I think that could be the best we're going to hope for. Just like Heather was saying, when it comes to having enough people to police all these sites. No, that is exactly what I want. I want DPR continuation form, you know, 782E, whatever it is. That is exactly (laughs) what I want, where you can just be like, there'll be two categories. It'll be like environmental damage, looting damage. And then, you, you know, you talk about the one or the other. That's it. See, Bill, you've nailed it. That will make me happy. And it is tough to make me happy. There, I would be happy. But it's altruism to expect that we could try to get a form like that, right? Like, <laughs> no, I know, I know. But, but I know. one can do here to California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, oh my God. Um, Heather, what is it? What, what do you want to say? Yeah, I, I was just going to say that, you know, again, I'm harping on having one. Sometimes you're going to have to deviate from from the norm, but having one system where you 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 do this and you do that. I'm thinking in my head that we constantly have clients that are trying to push us to go out and do a survey before we get the record search results back. And in California, for those that are listening that are from California, California is held up. We talk about this a lot because of the turnaround time for a record search result, because we can't just like other states can just go on a, on a database and get the information right away. We can't do that in California. And so we're waiting for that sometimes a couple months and the clients are sitting here going, okay, like you're holding our whole, our whole project up. And so, you know, there's a, a lot of things that go with that, but sometimes we're out in the, we have to go and do the survey before we get the record search. Mm-hmm. And, and that's tough because now you don't know what you're, what you're going to find. And, you know, I always put a caveat in the proposals that say, uh, an assumption that proposals that say that if you do want us to go out and do a survey first, and then the record search comes back and we get, we find that there is a resource that was previously recorded, 
we may have to go back out there and you may have to pay for another survey. It's up to you. I mean, you're, you're paying, you may have this expedite type fee roundabout because we have to go back out there a second time. But it just seems in our business for as long as it's been around, there aren't um, very specific steps that are held to. And there isn't a consistent approach. There's general approaches, but there isn't this consistent approach, which is surprising to me for as long as we've been around. And, you know, some people may say, well, because every project's different, right? You can't have something that you have to hold people's feet to the fire that we do exactly this, because sometimes you have to deviate from it based on the site that you're looking at. But I think that we could have something, we could have a system that is a little bit more, but a little bit more step specific, yeah. like this article is suggesting. Yeah, I think that's where the article shines. I think it's its strong suit is it's like, hey, we're, we've come up with six steps. You know, here you go. Let's do these steps. And it, I think it's just a hop, skip and a jump between those steps. And, hey, put it on the form. Here's your six. You know, like like uh, just, there should be a definition. The there should be definitions. Yeah. We should have a vocabulary. There should <laughs> be a set vocabulary. I mean, all these things, because, yes, they have these steps. Those are great. But there's so right. many steps in between uh, and sure. so many areas that could go wrong <laughs> yeah yeah a little a little dose of reality yeah that that is true there there are some some pitfalls in there for sure but i do appreciate you know the the outlining of, of those things like you said earlier you know it's a it's idealistic but that's that's the first step in getting something concrete and real yep we should see if we can reach out to some of the authors in this and see if they'll tell us more about these situations or like, cause I'm, I mean, I worked in Arizona for a lot of years. Right. It is a unique place when you talk about the size of a state with just really very visible archeological sites. I mean, you can look at the like construction sediments that have been moved when the sun's coming up and just see Hohokam sherds in the stuff that's been mm -hmm. plowed aside, mm -hmm. right? Like when you're out in the desert, the morning and the evening is an excellent time to see sites in Arizona because there's no grass anymore. And you can just look straight across and see the temper shimmer in their plane wares. Yeah. And you could just see them from, you know, 40 or 50 meters away. Like you can see that totally. stuff. So, so if, you know, knuckleheads like me can see those sites, then you know that people out there who want to find ceramics and stuff like that, they're, they're going to be attracted to that. They also know those clues too. And so, it, you know, the folks are talking about cases in Arizona. It also has a lot of federal land. So it has mm -hmm. that kind of strong protection over a huge chunk of the state compared yeah. to, you know, a place like back east virginia right that's been private property most of it for four or five hundred years and you can't really look and see sites and you know there's other kinds of protections as far as like trespassing and stuff like that on those i mean but they're also when there's private land that you can just dig freely and pay a guy fifty dollars an hour and just dig for artifacts if you feel like in a place like you know where there's more uh, private land. So I think we should get some of the authors, see if we can get the authors on here, see if we can talk about their unique situation in Arizona and, you know, how, how they even came around to this and then give us some steps, right? Because if we could get a form or something like that, that's part yeah. of everyone's CRM, then I guess, I mean, it will cost more and it will take more time and everything, but at least it'll be on the mind of folks from the time they're a field tech until they right. move through that you just, you always do it this way. Yeah. And one more form would be no big deal. You know, like that wouldn't be that bad. You, you know what I'm saying? No, seriously. Form, how much narrative stuff do they want? You know, yeah. you get to write a novel yeah. there. Right, right. My, my two things, 
to sum it up, a form must come with a system for filling it out. You've got to have some kind of handbook that goes along with it you know, so that it is consistently executed. I'm tired of your demands. You demand that actual know how to do it? No, man. Just give me a form. It's fine. Just write some the, stuff. The second thing is education. And I people talk yeah. about this, nothing new, right? Not education like we're educating archaeologists, but we're educating the public. The one thing, when I was in graduate school, somebody came and talked to us about this these areas in Peru and uh, where they were looting their own heritage sites because they were impoverished and that was how they made money. It really Im- impressed on me the importance of educating people non-archaeologists in why preservation of cultural resources is important. That is obviously something that's, you know, it's a little bit different than what we have here in California, but education is important. We cannot preserve without education. And the more that you explain to people, I mean, we've talked, I don't don't think we've talked about, you know, looters or things as we haven't talked about it in a while, but, you know, there are people on social media that that's what they do. And, and, you know, they're, they're interested in it just like we are. They come from the same place in their heart that they're interested in history and in finding out more about history. So if we take that and we educate the public into why looting is not a good thing, because in this, in yeah. this day and age here in America, really, there's not a lot of people that are making a lot of money on looting. They're just doing it for their own private interests, their private collections. So if mm-hmm. you can get people's passion personal passion and and educate them and get them involved in another way i think you could really reduce uh significantly reduce looting in north america at least well i mean i would i that also seems very hopeful too to me because i actually don't think that looters come from anywhere close to the place in my heart why i'm doing any of this stuff i'm pretty solidly anti-looter so that's yeah, just not, me. It's like the same guy that takes a whole can of, you know, a whole bag of trash and throws it on the side of the road. I'm, I'm against that kind of litter. I'm against harming other people and I'm against ripping sites. And yeah. I think that someone who's curious about artifacts should go to the library first before they yeah, just go to someone's no, heritage site and rip it. I agree with you. I totally agree with you. But uh, what I'm saying is in the root of it, that's why we got to get people like that early. They're curious. They're not doing it to sell. I'm not saying that looters are a good thing. But what I'm saying is they're the impetus behind why they want to do it is because they're curious and 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 they want to collect. And for whatever that it is wrong, looting is wrong. But if we were to get people in the beginning of that passion and educate them, we would be a lot better off. Yeah, I could totally see that. So with that, there we go. We've gone all the way through uh, CRM damage assessment, what we would think if there could be a form, you know, and uh, I thought I thought that was pretty cool. And then as a as a follow up, maybe we should do another show on looting like, like uh, 30 Try seconds in. on the show and see what happens. Yeah, see how they feel. <laughs> see if I can reach through the screen and choke every one of them, you know, exactly. Entertaining. <laughs> Yeah, bend over and let me start excavating. <laughs> oh my god! See, it all, I mean, it, it, it was a passionate argument, you know, like uh, uh, thirty seconds in. So, with that, I guess there you have it. Another episode of of Ye Old CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode two hundred seventy five. <laughs> I have been your host, Andrew Kinkella, and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>
Take it easy, everybody. Checked out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I left no time for rollout. I don't know. No, I don't know. Trying I'm, to get out of this hotel in time. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet dot com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.